I would like to get some ladies off the hook. Um, and that to do that is in Luke 10, a passage uh, starting verse 38, which has been used to beat up women my entire life. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where there was a woman named Martha, where a woman rather named Martha, opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, that's Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Well, um, my mother-in-law is named Martha. And I can tell you that early on in her Christian walk, which has been for many years, she got very tired of these Martha Martha stories. My mother-in-law also uh, invented Christmas because um, she starts sometime in July, or she did. You know, now age has gone on, but for years, her house had everything, and the meal had everything. And this was, um, it was always quite a shock when we'd come across from Scotland and walk into this. It was just like, you know, the abundance in Santa Claus blew up in a, in a small and enclosed area. And it was beautiful in every way. But I, I would look and say, how many, inside, how many kinds of meat do we need? You know, how many, we, all, four desserts? I later found that yes, yes, four desserts are required. Um, and it would be sinful not to do that. But at the time, it seemed overabundant, and it seemed as if she couldn't have fun because she was working. Now, that's very true about women in holidays anyway, and our cultural expectations. Generally speaking, women don't get a holiday, and that's, um, that's a bit tragic, that is. <clears throat> and perhaps we could do something about that, guys. But I want to take away the, the gotcha out of this passage. Jesus was not saying it's wrong to be caring about the meal and how's it all going to come together. Can you, um, My wife does this like an air traffic controller. You've got to land everything at the same time, right? Uh, for the meal to be right, everything has to be done at the same time. And I find that fascinating because um, she used to, whenever uh, she would go out of town, pre-make meals, freeze them, put them in the freezer with uh, elaborate instructions. And when she came back, they were always still there because well, I'm not going to do that. We, there's peanut butter on the planet. Um, there are um, serve and eat one meal guy, things at the grocery store. So no, um, it's too complex for me. Think about how hard it was back in the day with no refrigeration, cooking over a fire or in a clay oven. I would say Martha was legitimately concerned. She wanted to feed the, the visiting rabbi, the pastor in town, and she wanted to be kind and she wanted to do good for him. And Jesus let her. And it was fine until Martha wanted Mary to think the way Martha thinks. That's when Jesus stopped it. It's fine for Martha to be Martha. It's fine for Mary to be Mary. It's not fine for Martha to want Mary to be like Martha or vice versa. Do you see how that works?
it's I, I've I, I've been going to church a lot and during quarantine going and finding places I've been or ministers I know and just going and listen to it. it's just been it's been fun to see names and faces that are a part of my past and listen to them uh, trace today I Dale um, uh, Darren McCulloch Doug Selke Karen Owens I, it just kept coming all these faces we knew and loved and um, it, and it's wonderful but I'll tell you something I don't preach like Adam Hell and he doesn't preach like Trey Morgan and none of us pray preach like Brad Shrum and that's great the problem would be if one of us demanded the other preach like them the other have the same priority that you've got about everything uh, I was um, I was in trouble with a couple of elders once at a church I served because I was not as passionate about their their ministry as they wanted me to be but it wasn't a ministry that interests me at all and they felt that was wrong and I said no it's you're doing a great job that's just not something I do I do this always be careful to remember Romans 15 7 accept others as Christ has accepted you let them be who they are this is this is them and this is what they think and this is what they like to do this is what they offer to God let's um let's do that does that make sense now are we good all right I don't think it's a real fourth Avenue issue to be honest um, but we do we do see this and and at the risk of opening many you know a um, a Costco size can of, of worms both left and right do this if um, if you disagree on any point then your entire side attacks you have you seen that on Twitter and Facebook it doesn't it doesn't matter let's say that you're a liberal and but you question abortion and you dare to put that on Twitter what happens oh my goodness or you think that the last thing Trump did wasn't a tragedy they will attack you go over to the um, the right let's say that you're you're a conservative but you say you know something I'm okay with a new gun law here watch out it is just a feeding frenzy we demand other people think like us all the way down and the old expression for this was love me love my dog you have to love everything or it's intolerable that's what's going on here please note he ate the food he might have been saying and I've heard this spiritualized so much that of all the things that could matter the only thing that really matters is to sit at Jesus's feet and hear this I'm thinking Jesus was saying you don't need all this stuff Martha you don't need to be making all these things you know I don't need to be served all the things when I show up it's a simple meal would be fine this is brutal um, back when I used to travel in the days before quarantine uh, many years ago I had I would sign I would show up and people would say now here's where you're having lunch and dinner each day and here the and I would say and no and I wasn't invited back a couple times because people said well he's not friendly well I'm also I'm, I'm, I'm also not able to eat that kind of food all the time and still make it through the door 
So um, you know, I would say, let's back this off. I need to rest some. I'm an introvert. I, rec- I love people, but I recover by being away from them. I'm pretty recovered by now, by the way. Uh, I, I'm good. I'm good for a good 15 minutes of public interaction now. Uh, so uh, for those of you that I am, um, I think he was trying to narrow the, uh, what is that one thing? I think he's just saying, you know, you, we can just eat. We can just study. It doesn't have to be everything. I, I don't know that that's, that's the way to look at the passage. But a story always comes to mind here. Cammie and I had just moved to Scotland and we were working with the church in Castle Milk. Uh, while some improvements have been made at that time, Castle Milk was one of the worst slums in Europe. It was awful. You know, we've, we still have pictures from the day. Um, desperate poverty stacked on top of each other in homes that uh, were full of mildew. Um, it was just an, an awful place. Um, they, they very much looked like something you would expect out of Soviet Romania uh, back in the day. And they were built basically by the same people uh, with the same politics at that time. Well, one poor family invited, just a couple actually, just a, a, a man and his wife, young couple, barely married, invited us to eat with them. And so we went to their house and there was this massive bucket of Kentucky fried chicken and a couple of big two liters of uh, Coke, I think it was. And inside both Cami and I hurt immediately because we knew that they had gone to search this out so that their American, their visitors from America um, would have food that they knew you know, because Kentucky Fried Chicken is our cultural staple. And we also knew that they had spent way too much of their little funds for this. And we sat and we thanked them and we ate and we smiled, but we went home with our stomachs hurting because they didn't need to do this. We would have been all right with a couple of sandwiches and a cup of tea. I can't help but think that's what Jesus is saying here. But if he is saying something different, we still have still to acknowledge to. that Jesus did eat what people made for him. He didn't say it was wrong. Just saying, listen, this, you know, let everybody be who they are. You don't need to be that concerned. Jesus doesn't need that much stuff. But that's where I am. And if you're, if, if you're more spiritual, is there a question I hear? Yeah, um, this Renee, um, it, when I was working in Atlanta, one day it kind of hit me that to want everybody to be like me devalues me. Um, and so for Martha to want Mary to be like her would devalue what Martha brings to the table. Because, you know, I was the, the contract reader in the office and I was frustrated with the recruiters that didn't understand or or put in the effort to understand the contracts. And I realized this is something that comes easy to me. And that's why I have this job because it's something I can do. And then I help them with it. If they could do it on their own, they wouldn't need me in this position. 
And so to want them to be where I was meant that I wanted myself out of there really, you know, because I wouldn't need that job. They wouldn't need me in that position. And I think you've said before, you know, if everybody in the room thinks the same, then um, that if you and one other person think the same, then one is too many or yeah, something. One is unnecessary. Yeah. yeah, one's unnecessary. And so I think if, if Mary was brought to the position of Martha, then Martha becomes unnecessary. And so I think we need to be careful when we want others to be like us we're devaluing ourselves in doing that rather than building up both their strengths and our strengths. Wow. That's, that's a new way to, to do this. I, I think it's valid. I think you're, um, I think you have an absolute valid point. I just hadn't heard that spin before. That's really good. Yeah. I'd, I've heard it done the negative way, which, um, we used to tell people back in, in counseling that living your life wishing you were somebody else is emotional suicide because you, you never get to be you. Uh, you, you. You don't live you because you weren't them. But you took this and stood it on its head. That's, that's really, it's pretty cool. Anything else there? All right, take, let's move on to the Lord's Prayer. Gotta tell you, um, when I do funerals, often the family asks, I'll say, are there any special words you want me to say? And especially if they don't go to church much, somebody will say, well, we could, um, could you lead us in the Lord's Prayer at the graveside? And inside, I groan a bit because it used to be we were all reading from the same playbook. Now everybody has their own version. And it can be, it, it can be less than impressive as, as a re so I always run right back to the King James version. Cause I figure I'm going to go with the, probably the last one they heard somewhere. Um, but we're going to do the Lord's prayer. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, uh, I'll, I'll stop right there. <clears throat> was anybody else raised in a church where you weren't allowed to say the Lord's Prayer? They, really? Okay. You see, I wasn't. Because uh, we were told just to repeat the words isn't what God wanted us to do. Although he does say, say. And we couldn't say, but the killer was, we couldn't say, thy kingdom come. Because since he died and was resurrected, there we go. There are the nods. There are the nods. And in fact, when it was said, they would even change Jesus's words. And the phrase would be, since thy kingdom has come, let thy will be done on earth. And I'm going, rewriting Jesus might not be the best move. You know, taking a blue pencil and heading after his lines, you know, I think you could do better. Mm. Um, well... Do I believe it's a magic set of words? No, but there are times I need to pray these exact words. There's something holy about saying a prayer that Christians have been saying for 2,000 years. I truly believe it affects something in the material realm as well as in the spiritual. Father, hallowed be thy, your name. See, I went to thy 
oh, real quick, by the way, um, apropos of nothing, perhaps, the thee and thine that has been taken out of the modern versions, some people say that that has lowered God. It's not showing him appropriate uh, reverence. And in some churches where I'll go to, I'll find that they go right back to thee and thine uh, in the prayer. Just a little English history tidbat here. Um, English is unique. Uh, there, are, there are other languages that do this, but most languages, when you say you, you use a word that indicates whether you're talking to a male or a female and whether there's a plurality of males or females or a mix. The word you is a, the closest you can get to variations on the word you are in the South where you have you, you all, and all you all. But even that's not quite as specific. Um, in the English language, you used to have other words for you and your and such. If you were close friends, comrades, and fellow vill villagers, you would use thee and thine. But if they were above you, you used you and yours. Everybody assumes it's the other way around. Isn't it interesting how language can flick around and people not, not know that because they don't study language. So anyway, thy is not more holy than your. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Um, some manuscripts will add, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I actually think that's probably the, the, the correct reading. Uh, the NIV drops that down into the footnotes. And I rarely argue with the, with the NIV doing that. But I think here, I think the evidence says that should be moved back into the prayer. My first thing I want to talk about is, I'm going to check over here, check over here. Okay. Um, all right. Sorry, I didn't see that question earlier. Uh, that we are in Luke, and we've just read Luke uh, 11, 1 through 2. I, I will tell you that my prayers follow a pattern. It is not mindless repetition because I really care about it, but it's a repetition. At mealtime, I thank God for the food. I thank God for our house and our shelter. I thank God then by our, for our family, and I name all of the grands, the kids, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, Cammie's parents, and my mom. And then I'd say about half the time, I add in Fourth Avenue and and the shepherds. This is over a meal. I told my wife, it's a good thing we don't have 20 grandkids because we only have cold food. Because it just seems that that blanket. When I read the Lord's Prayer, there's a corrective here. It is you start being concerned about the things of God, not about the things of you. It is may your reputation be enhanced. Think, how would our D be different? I'm, I'm going to say our, because I'm included in the group. If the first thing on our planner every day, first thing on our, our notes that pops up on the phone, is whatever you do today, do it so that God's reputation in the world is better than it is now. Can you imagine how that might redirect? I've actually had to pray that prayer when, again, introvert, I get into groups in which I am not comfortable. You know, I love, I love cruises. 
Uh, people say, how do you like cruises if you don't like crowds? You can be invisible on a cruise. And they have a, a balcony with a lock between you and the other people. You know, so you, there are a lot of reasons why. And, and I've had people say, are you still going on them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, if they don't cancel my one in July, I'm going anyway. Um, and by the way, I'm not stupid. I know I could get sick, but going anyway. I, I enjoy cruises, but there are times where the crush of people and the noise of people make me want to just kind of shoulder my way through the crowd, get my thing and get out of there. And I have to pray again, Father, may whatever decision I make enhance your reputation first. And then we flow from there. And it changes my behavior. Uh, I'm not going to say that it makes me nice. Makes me nicer. Um, can, you, can you work that into your prayers? I mean, it's interesting to me. That's the first thing out is I want God's reputation to be enhanced. I'll eat, okay? Give us each day our daily bread. I um, I don't know why he put the word daily in, except that I believe it was their custom. And please, um, you really need to circle this with a red crayon because I'm not certain. I believe it, it was their custom not to thank God for future events but to thank God for where they were now and what they were going through now. Um, we tend to do that, but I think, I think it's subconsciously. We'll say, you know, thank you for always taking care of us. Well, there's an implied obligation to continue to take care of us, which I hope he does. But every single day, whatever comes is a gift. I only saw this once and I was a boy. I might've been 11 or so. Uh, there was a black and white movie. Well, it was black and white on our TVs. I'm assuming it was black and white. Uh, James Stewart was in it. Um, it was called Shenandoah. Anybody remember? Some of you are nodding. Okay, you saw it. I really need to see it again. But something really hit me in that movie. It was about a, um, evidently a prominent farmer or rancher and the Civil War comes and he's not interested in the Civil War but it still takes the lives of his people. And, but it's his prayer before every meal is basically, you know, Lord, we came here, we cleared the land, we planted it, we weeded it, we went out and got it, we stacked it, we prepared it, we fixed it, we put it on the table, but thank you anyway. It was, it was, it was like, do you remember that? It was stunning. But there are times that I, if I don't think about that, um, it's, um, I can feel like, well, I did this, but thanks a lot, God. I don't do that often, but it's enough for the, prayer, for the words of this prayer to be a corrective. My soul is a boat on the water. If you're wanting to go get in a boat and um, uh, let's, big water, big water. Let's say you're going to go, you're going to go down south. You're going to hop, hop into a boat in Mobile. Um, and you want to go over to, um, to Cozumel, right? You don't point it and then let go. My soul is like a boat. It always needs corrections dialed in. Constant corrections. The actions of other things around the wind, the waves, 
um, inattention, currents, things I can see and things I cannot see would move me off. So I consider my soul a boat on an ocean. It always needs corrected. And I've just found out the movie is in color. Well, rats, we didn't have one of those. Rich people, rich people, just rubbing it in the face of the man. Um, also a line over here from Lacey. I like the line about daily bread because it's a reminder to me that's often a daily choice for me to rely on him. Very well phrased. Um, Kimberly uh, and Keith, uh, could it be insecurity with Martha, fear of being ignored? Yes, yes, absolutely it could be. Once again, it's interesting, we can come to one passage and all of us walking away with something. Um, and, oh, and Trace goes back to Lacey, okay? Signifies thankfulness today and not worrying about the future, which is something Jesus cautioned about. There again, boat on an ocean, worrying about the future is sometimes my hobby. I have to stop myself. Uh, I don't know how many times a day I'll be going, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, as scripture says. You know, let's, let's work now. Um, all right, you guys are great. Now the next clause is a little problematic. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. The same way. The Bible tells us if you want to receive mercy, you have to give mercy. And Jesus' prayer is, we're asking to be forgiven in exactly the same way for we forgive. Anybody else see this as a, whew. Um, that, that can be a, a bit of a struggle. Um, Try to remember, oh, what was his name? It just went away from me. Um, an old preacher out of Duncanville, Texas, used to say, my dirt's dirty, uh, your dirt's dirty, mine isn't. And that was his way of talking about how when we sin, we have an explanation. But when they sin, they should be punished. Whereas I've heard it put by some younger preachers in the last decade or so, we want God to judge us on the, our intentions and judge others on their actions. That. We need to be the people that forgive. Let it go. Um, doesn't help us. And there are so many great um, sayings about um, holding grudges or holding things against others. It's, it's just a cancer that kills you, not the intended target. Uh, we we have, to, have to let it go. And lead us not into temptation. Okay. Um, that's... Um, and by the way, uh, uh, some of the older manuscripts also add, but delivers from the evil one. I really like that phrase. I think it should belong there. Um, what does it mean not to lead us into temptation? The Bible says God doesn't test us. It also says it won't put you in any position where there's not a way of escape. We're also told every sin which befalls us has befallen others. It's not unique. Um, Trace is right. An upside down religion in comparison with the religious of the day uh, where things come up from below. Uh, for example, we believe we can forgive sins. Remember Jesus said we could. 
He says, if you forgive their sins, they are forgiven. That's, um, and here, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. It doesn't say as we ask for you to forgive them if that's okay with you. We are priests, remember? Peter tells us we are priests. We are, we are walking temples of God supposed to be dispensing grace, peace, mercy to those around us who will never get into a, into a church building. Certainly not uh, likely to go unless they see someone like us. Um, I am, I'm not going to tell you what the meaning of lead us not into temptation is, but I'm going to tell you what, where, where I've landed. Is that fair? Again, everybody gets to land where you want to land. It's not a salvation issue here. I think he's asking God, don't put us into positions where we might fail. I have talked to God um, very bluntly in my prayers. I do. Um, I've told him that I think he has too high of a view of me because uh, the scripture says he won't put you into anything that you can't escape from. Or, and I'm going, I, I'm going to ask you to be a lot more gentle than this because I don't know, but I think you put me in something you think I can handle and I'm not sure I can. Um, I often, often talk uh, and say, would you, would you just go talk to Jesus and... <laughs> He'll let you know it's really hard down here. It's really hard. And so it is. Um, I don't know how our prayer team handles it. The amount going through those blue cards, there, there's praise, but the amount of pain that comes at them, it's hard down here. And so there are times I've I've asked God, and, you know, and again, I fall into that kind of person C.S. Lewis talked about who said that, um, C.S. Lewis said, there are a kind of Christian who all they ask of God is that they have a very nice day. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, hmm, wonder who those people might be. But that's, that's really the functional prayer that I give. Um, temptation is about getting too much of our daily provision. We may forget where it came from. Absolutely. Um, this is where I struggle with the question of who are your Samaritans, sometimes it feels greater than I can bear. That's a wonderful phrase. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just thinking. Sometimes this cannot be a 45-minute soliloquy. Sometimes Patrick has to think. Okay. I'm going to work with that one. I think it's completely accurate and completely valid. It's just... um. The Morris Corner seems to be pummeling me with new thoughts, and we're going to ask them to stop that now. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't, don't make the preacher have to write a new sermon. Goodness gracious. <clears throat> oh, love you guys. By the way, Luke ends the prayer here. And just, we've said this before. There are people, I meet them, who will say there are contradictions in scripture because the prayer over here says this, but the prayer over here says that. The prayer. Do you think Jesus only gave this instruction once or only prayed like this once? When I was reading uh, the Taylor Branch trilogy, 
in America during the King years about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Highly recommended, by the way, life-changing when I read it. He would actually document which sermon Martin Luther King Jr. preached in different places, and he gave them names because he used them so frequently that he, would, he gave this sermon there, then he gave this sermon here. Well, he'd also given this sermon these other places. And it's, it's not a criticism. Of course it's not. You know, different people uh, need to hear the sermon. And the same with this. Besides, Luke was not an eyewitness of the prayer. Luke was a historian writing down what he heard from others. What do you, when you are interviewing others, you write down what they told you. You do not write down what they didn't because you didn't ask the right question. Does that help? So it's very helpful then to have the others there who were eyewitnesses. Now Luke tells us things that the others do not because he, he, he interviewed Mary. He knew, knows what Mary was thinking and what prayer she prayed and things such as this that the others didn't know. So we put them all together. Um, there's, a, there's something I want to go, but I don't want to eat our time here. Are the next three paragraphs an explanation of the prayer? I think so. And We've only got seven minutes here, but Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your, and this is an NIV phrasing, shameless audacity. Uh, some versions put, to preserve his good name in the neighborhood, he'll give you bread. Others put, to get rid of you, basically because of the insistence, he will do this. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. <clears throat> really heavy stuff here. I wanna run ahead, then come back. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a, a fish, some versions say, uh, some manuscripts say bread. We'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give to the Holy Spirit who asks him? We can chew on this next week too. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a parable that Jesus uses about a judge who is not interested in dispensing justice to a widow. Now, the reason was um, judges back then received a portion of the settlement as their pay. And when a widow's there and her case is over almost nothing, but it was all she had, it, it doesn't do him any, it's, it's no real, why would he be interested in this? And so the only reason he finally listens and finds for her is to get rid of her. And Jesus says, pray like that. Um, I like that. And it kind of shakes me up at the same time. It seems to be here the same way. In those days, the, the worst possible social faux pas was 
the failure of hospitality. Uh, if you did not have something to offer uh, the visitor that came by. So here's someone who has failed, has nothing to offer. They go to a friend. The friend can say, that's your failure, not mine. We would wish that the friend would say, you know something you did not provide. I have extra. What I have is yours. They did not do this for some reason. It is an odd story, but Jesus says, get in there and don't quit. Now think of what are the first words in, in Luke 11. Jesus was praying. We don't have a context. But if you go through the Gospels and just look for those type of phrases, you find a lot. So it's like, I would have these questions. You and your father are one. What are you, what are you talking to him about? Why do you have to ask him for anything if you and he are, are one? And this is all, you know, the plan of God was put in motion. And your part of the plan is, is I'm not, I still have those questions. I have a very good friend. Um, Trace knows him, Adam Hill, who took my place in the pulpit in Rochester, Michigan. Um, and I was really going through a period at, at this time, I was still at Rochester. So back around, <clears throat> I'd say 2008 or so, really struggling because I'd been praying and praying and praying. And a couple of my friends had died. Uh, they were younger than me. I was shook. It, it, it happened over a period of just a few months. And so I, I got in with Adam and I said, Adam, you know, we're going to talk. Adam is a theologian. He absolutely knows his, his scripture and theology. And I said, I am struggling. And I got to the point where I was talking about this wasn't, this didn't happen. And, and Alan said, well, Adam, rather, Adam Hill said, I don't really pray to God about my colds or illnesses. And I looked at him and said, why not? And he said, I don't really think God's all that concerned that I get over a cold. Well, that, <clears throat> colds and upper, uh, upper respiratory things, those are my um, kryptonite. I get that stuff, knocks me flat, takes forever to get over. So I'm a little riled up now. And so, but you could do that with Adam. We're, we're friends. So we're going at each other. And I finally challenged him. I thought I'd thrown a trump card on the table. I said, then why do you even pray? And immediately he looked at me and he said, because Jesus does. You're really going to do that to me. I thought I had the trump card and you're going to pull that out from your sleeve and fling this down on the table. Well, he was completely accurate. <clears throat> and while I struggle with prayer, the fact is Jesus prayed all the time. Why? For the same reason he's praying us to do it. Because if you want things to change, pray. If you don't want them to change, stop. Uh, and I see um, Kevin or Renee are, are heading to the um, heading into the Holy Spirit discussion. We can't get there yet because there's no way I'm opening up the uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week uh, question without really <clears throat> covering that one. All right because we don't want any of you to worry about that one, but now you will, because you'll read ahead. Spoiler alert, you're probably going to be all right. The, um, 
but you are right, Kevin or Renee, whoever typed it. Um, this isn't saying God will give us what we want if we quit bothering him. It sure looks like that at first read. We have to get the whole context out and put it in the context of Jesus's life. And we will do that next week. I want to look at, at verse 9 and verse 10. And I want you to consider an interpretation. I believe it is manifestly not true in our lives that if we ask, we receive. If we seek, we find. And if we knock, the doors are opened. I believe we could all find times where that didn't happen. But if we spend our life asking, seeking, and knocking, when we pass and God takes us home, we will have received, we will have heard, we will have found, and the door is open. I don't believe he's promising all of this happens here, now. That God is, this is some magic trick, but you have to do it a lot of times until you wear God down. I think he's talking about the direction of our life. We, we live our lives asking God. We, we live our lives seeking God. We live our, our lives knocking on God's door. We will end up where we want to be. But it doesn't mean I might not lose my job or that I might not get COVID. Um, let me go over here for a little bit. Uh, interesting that the different perspectives of the author of the Bible supports the idea that we're all different. Well, that's a good point. If they recorded the prayer differently, I guess that just supports the idea. Well, we are different people. Uh, and Kevin, we're going to get to, or Renee, we're going to get to that next week, Lord willing. Then Trace, how does God help us avoid temptation? I think the Holy Spirit definitely has a role. Oh my goodness, absolutely. Um, here's one way. In many ways, uh, and, and I'm, I'm agreeing about the salvation thing there, Neil. Um, when I'm driving down the road, I don't see a lot of things. Do not panic. If you're a hunter, if you drive down the road, you will see things I do not see. Uh, I golf sometimes with Doug Buttry because um, he and I are, are, are kind of the same in that we don't do a lot of talking. You know, we don't go golfing so that we can socialize. We go golfing so we can hit something and mutter under our breath. And so uh, when I go with him, he's always saying, oh, look, deer. And there are deer. There are all, oh, look at the turkeys. And there are turkeys. I don't see them. Hunting wasn't part of my culture. Right? I wasn't part of my bringing up. Other people would say, I wonder why they have so many sycamore trees over there. I wouldn't know a sycamore tree if it knocked on my door with a name tag. It's not what I see. I think God helps me get through some days by not letting me see options to fail and options to sin. Sometimes I want God to put blinders on so that I do not see and I do not fear what might pull me off my course. I need that Holy Spirit to help me focus on what I do need to see. And I've told this story so many times. I'm hoping that you're not tired of it. Um, when I was learning how to fly a plane, uh, you, you have to learn, you have to show you know how to land it before they'll trust you with it. You know, just you and soloing. It's one of those, they're really sticklers for that rule. And landings were giving me a fit. 
It was a very light plane, two-seater fabric wing, 1947 air coupe. Look them up, really fun planes. Not, not if you want to get anywhere, but um, you, can, you can pedal around up there at the speed of cloud. Uh, and I would come down and try to land, and I'd balloon. This is not accepted practice. And so after about the second or third hit, he'd say, go around. And you'd shove the throttle all the way in to the firewall and go around. Now this happened, I, it probably just happened three times in a row. It felt like a dozen. When he said, oh, he said, go around. And I was, he looked at me and he goes, I just saw what you're doing wrong. I said, well done. I did not say out loud, well done, Mr. 45 bucks an hour. Uh, I just said, well done. He said, you're, you're looking down. And I said, um, down's where I want to be. Down is my goal. Down is the end result of all of my planning. Why would I not be looking down? He goes, no, you need to look at the far end of the runway. And I said, how in the world does that make any sense at all? And he, he reminded me once again, he said, I'm in this plane. I'm not asking you to do something stupid. And I'm thinking, all right, right now, I'm going to label that debatable. But why do I need to look at the very end? He said, because you don't want to look where you're going. You want to look where you want to end up. And every time I did that, agrees the landings. I re that, that happened 40 years ago. And I still sometimes say, Patrick, you're looking where you're going. Where do you want to end up? Let's look at where you want to end up. And so that beautiful old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, um, it, it, it matters where your eyes are. So I had the feeling we're going to need to come back to this passage and then run into the next passage next week. Is that all right? So keep your brilliant insights, because they are brilliant, and your... Um, uh, your non-annoying questions, I mean, they're really good. Uh, keep those coming because I'm interested in learning and I have found a couple of new um, perspectives today. So I, I particularly think what is to me the top right square. Um, I don't know what position that would be. Um, it looks like Topper Long is in the Paul Lind position, if you remember the old Hollywood squares. So we're going to expect some witticisms from you next time around there, Topper. And it looks like you guys are home. Are you home now? We are home for a week. We're going back to the mountains on Saturday. <laughs> and we are in the upper left on our screen. Well, you know, it doesn't matter where you are on your screen. It just matters where you are on mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to your point, the last point you made, Wayne Gretzky was once asked, why are you such a great player? And he said, I skate to where the puck is going to be rather than where it is now. Oh, yeah. And I think that's, you know, appropriate. If we would skate to where the puck is going to be rather than where it is now, we'd probably all be a lot better off. That's really profound. <laughs> I, I learned, I went into a batting cage once. Uh, because it was there. My son and I were just out doing stuff. He was a kid. Um, you, you really, these people that hit, actual hit baseballs and, and baseball, they have to swing the club well before the ball gets there. And I know that sounds like duh, but until you're standing there and those things are coming at you in speed, 
these are freaks of nature. They have to figure out, uh, they can see the seams somehow. And they've, uh, it is just stunning. Um, but I love that. I love that. Uh, anything else before we, we start wrapping it up for the D? Real quickly, um, and I put on Facebook today, this is very much like being air traffic controller. Uh, if any one thing changes, everything changes. Our governor has entered us into phase one as of, uh, well, some things already, and then others Monday, others Wednesday. May 1st is our phase one. That's a, that's a two-week phase. He has not um, said churches cannot meet, but he's made it very plain. He thinks that's unwise, and so do I, frankly. Um, we have several plans on how this could unfold and how we can help and serve regardless of which way it is. But as I told the shepherds, we have a many branched tree. We just don't know which branch the squirrel's gonna run up. So be aware, we are praying, we are planning, we're doing everything we can to make sure that the Fourth Avenue community is safe, loved, taken care of, and gets to worship. All right? So. Um, if you ask particulars, all I can do is say, all of this can change, but here are some ideas, all right? But I, it makes me happy to look over and see so many faces. Thank you for being in. Uh, anything, any final thoughts before we're away? All right, cheery bye. 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 bye.